0: I've got a question for you. Which sounds better? A, Jesus being your teammate. B, Jesus being your coach. C, Jesus being your replacement. Or D, Jesus being your inspiration. Now, if you read the inside cover of the worship guide, you saw our new series is called Replaced. So you might know where I'm going with this, but just play along, okay? Say you're on a team of some sort. Maybe it's a sports team, a basketball team, maybe it's a work team, or maybe it's just a team as in you're living with other people. Say you're on the team of humanity. I kind of like the idea, actually I really like the idea, of having teammates. People to encourage me. People to work with. People to partner with. People to work towards a goal with, right? I like having teammates. I, I like having a coach someone to guide me, someone to teach me, someone to show me what to do, someone to point me in the right direction. I like that as well. And I really like the idea of having inspiration. You know, like when you watch a movie and you get the chills because it's so, there's no other word for it, it's so inspiring. It breathes life into you. I like this idea. You, you can look up to someone and you can say, oh man, someday maybe I could be like that lady. Or someday I could be like that guy. I like the idea of having a teammate, a coach, or an inspiration. Not so much having a replacement. I don't like the idea of being replaced because if I'm replaced, it means that I wasn't good enough. It means that I needed a replacement. It, it means that I, I couldn't do what I was supposed to do on the sports court, on the basketball court. So I had to be taken out and a replacement put in. Or I couldn't do what I needed to do at my job, so I was replaced. Or it, it means that I'm not good enough of a person in general if I need a replacement. And you see evidence of this because there, there just aren't feel-good stories about there about people who get replaced, and that's the end of it. There are no, no stories about the basketball player who succumbed to exhaustion, and got put on the end of the bench and his replacement went in and that's the end of the story. There are no stories like that. Not popular ones anyways. There's no stories about the line worker who couldn't do her job and so she got demoted and replaced and that's it. There's no stories out there that people love hearing that are simply all about uh, a mom of a newborn baby who made probably the one of the toughest decisions that someone could ever make. When she looked at her her life and her skills and she thought, I can't adequately take care of this child. And so she gave up the newborn baby for adoption and was replaced as a parent. There, there There aren't stories out there that you love reading like that. But there are. There are stories about the replacement coming in. There's plenty plenty of stories about the person who came off the bench and she had, you know, she hadn't played the whole game and then she hits the game-winning shot. There's stories about the worker who swoops in and saves the day. There's stories about people like foster parents or people who adopt children and selflessly serve as replacement parents. There's all sorts of those stories. But there's not stories about the people who get who get replaced. That's not any sort of feel-good story. Kind of an aside here. You ever think about the difference between something feeling good and something being actually good? There's a difference, and it's worth considering in just about every area of life. There aren't feel-good stories about the people who get replaced. There are however, actually good stories about people who do the replacing. And this is what our worship series from now until Easter is going to be about. About us being replaced. Which is not a feel good story. This is not even, it's not fun and games. It's not even going to be a a self empowerment story. It's not even going to be about Jesus empowering you. This is more of a a self, I can't do this meant story. It's not going to be you, rah, rah, because it's not a feel-good thing. But it is an actually good thing because Jesus replaced us and it's all about him. And the reason we're going to spend so many weeks on this is because the Bible uses a lot of different kinds of language to talk about this theme of us being replaced by Jesus. Today, we're using temple language. You've already heard it with the Leviticus sacrifices and things, it's all about sacrifice. But the Bible also uses language from the battlefield, uses language from the court. It uses exile and homecoming language and it uses marketplace language, buying and selling and other types of language too. That's what we're gonna talk about, actually good news from now until Easter. But today, it's all about sacrifice. So listen to these words all about us being replaced. Not feel good, but actually good. From Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, the law can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. This is God's word. Now just a few minutes ago, I read to you from Leviticus 16. And if you didn't notice, there was a whole lot of blood. And we've talked about blood a lot today. In Leviticus 16, there was the slaughtering of an animal and the sprinkling of the blood by the high priest on the altar. Like imagine, I just had a basin of real, literal blood up here, not just red water. And I sprinkled it all over this. And I sprinkled it seven times. And then it talked about how the high priest, he put the blood all over the horns that were on the altar. And then he went out and he sprinkled it on the tabernacle. So much blood. It's kind of a sight that makes you shudder. And that was the point of it. Because the point of all this blood, it was to be like a blunt instrument hitting the people over the head every year. And actually, these sacrifices weren't just made once a year. They were made every single day in one form or another. The point of all this blood was to remind people of their sin. Sin causes blood to come out. Sin causes harm. Sin causes death. And these sacrifices, they never stopped. Year after year, day after day, even every single day. It reminded the people in, I don't know if there's a stronger way that people could be reminded. Sin is always, it's always there. We can't outrun it in this world. And they knew this because there was always another sacrifice coming. The sacrifices, the blood being spilled, it never ended. Hebrews said, the blood of bulls and goats, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And also the same thing goes for the blood, sweat, and tears of humans. Verse 11 said, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So, you sinned. You blew up at your wife, or your husband, or your friend, or your daughter, or your son, or or someone else. You blew up at them. Or you thought arrogantly about the person you saw walking down the street. Or the person you saw in church. Or the person you don't like at all. Maybe it's one of the people on TV. They fell and fell hard and they look like a fool because of something they said or something they did. And you're happy about it. Because they look bad. You sinned. So what do you do now? Well, no, no amount of religious duty can take that away. Like you, you come here to worship, that act of yours, it doesn't make you look good to God. You say your prayers, that doesn't make you look good to God either. Uh, you, be, you be extra generous and extra unselfish, even towards the people that you thought arrogantly about or, or you were happy when they fell hard that act doesn't make you look good to God either. Nothing you do, sacrificing does you absolutely no good. It doesn't take away sins. That's what Hebrews told us. Sacrifice is defined as the act of giving something up that you value for the sake of something else that you regard as more important. But it doesn't work. No sacrifice that you make will work to bring you closer to God. And you know what? I don't like that fact. I don't like that sacrifice doesn't work. I don't like what Hebrews says, that I can't do anything, that I can do these things over and over and over again, but it doesn't do me any good. It doesn't draw me any closer to God. I don't like that because I want to do something. I like accomplishing things. I like fixing something. It makes me feel worthy and valued. I don't like to use a sports analogy, I don't like getting taken out of the game and sit on the end of the bench while I watch my replacement play out on the court. No, what I like is when the coach calls timeout, I come to the huddle, he gives me a pep talk, and then he sends me back out, and even though I've had three air balls throughout the game, I have the opportunity to win the game. That's what I like. I don't like that sacrifice doesn't do me any good. I don't like that the religious duties I perform, that they don't actually draw me any closer to God. I want to do something. My dear family in Jesus, watch out for this because it's sneaky. It's sneaky because it can, it's, it's such a good thing to do good things. It's so good to serve others and to be selfless. But the fact that I don't like that it doesn't actually accomplish anything for making me good with God, oh, it's so sneaky. Watch out for it. Because in a way, when I think like that, I'm resenting the fact that Jesus came to earth to be my savior, my replacement. He didn't come just to be my teammate or my coach or my inspiration. Watch out for that feeling. It's sneaky. But the good news is that Jesus forgives you and me, even for the times when we resent the fact that our sacrificing for him doesn't do us any good. When we resent the fact that we've been taken out of the game and we've been replaced, because who likes being replaced? He forgives us even for that. And there's more good news. And that's that Jesus is not a bull or a goat or just any old priest. John the Baptist said in John 1, we just heard it, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and your part of the world. And then in Hebrews, he said, but when this priest, this is Jesus, so he's not the priest who is offering day after day all these sacrifices that can't take away sins. It says, When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice that Jesus made for all sins. And then he sat down. Let me ask you, when do you sit down? Do you sit down before the job is done? I mean, I do, but we shouldn't, right? You sit down when the job is completed. You sit down when it's all done and Jesus' job was done. His work of taking away our sins, it was done. There's nothing left. And where did he sit down? He didn't sit down just like in his favorite chair. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Which means what? Well, Jesus wouldn't sit down at the right hand of his father if he and his father didn't have a good relationship. And Jesus wouldn't sit down at the right hand of his father if his work wouldn't, it wouldn't be done because the father would say, hey, your work's not done. Why are you sitting down next to me? Go finish your work. Jesus sat down, but not just anywhere. He sat down at the right hand of God, which means that God the Father accepted the work that Jesus did. Jesus was done with the work of taking away every last ounce of your guilt. And because of that, verse 18 says, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. It's not all about us. It's not about the one who got replaced. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, the one who is our replacement. Who is not primarily our coach or our teammate or our inspirational speaker. He's the one who replaced us. There is no sacrifice necessary for filling your name here. Because Jesus is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He is like, his blood being spilled ends the need for any other blood to be spilled. In the Old Testament, the fact that there was blood spilled every day it reminded the people, your sins, Like this is signifying them being paid for, but their sin is still here. But Jesus, he was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, the blood spiller to end all blood being spilled. There is no longer any sacrifice needed to take away your sins. It's done. And you're allowed to smile at this. But wait, Pastor, you might say, what about the contradictions here? Because it seems like there's some contradictions. Because you say verse 10 says, verse 10 says, we have been made holy. That means we have been made perfect from all of our sins. They're all gone. We have been. And then you say, Pastor, verse 14 says, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect those who are being made holy. So you say, wait a minute, Pastor. What, like, have we been made holy? Like, Are our sins gone? Have they been taken away? Or are we being made holy? Are we in the process of this? And the answer is yes. Because you all know the reality. We don't live perfectly. I sin. You sin every single day. The life of a Christian is one of constant, constant struggle with all types of sin. But for example, every day, in one way or another, I don't like the fact that I need a replacement. I don't like the fact that Jesus is my replacement because I don't want to be on the bench. I want to be in the game because it's an opportunity to gain glory and be praised. I, in my heart of hearts, don't like the fact that Jesus has saved me from my sins. The life of a Christian is a constant struggle against all types of sin. We are being made holy as our faith grows and we act more in line with what God demands. But also, did you catch what God said at the end of Hebrews? He said he remembers my sin no more. It's still there. But God doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't punish me for it because He's forgotten about it. Because we've been made holy. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, by the one who stepped in to be our replacement, the one on whom all our sins went. There is no need. No need for you to think that you have to do anything to make God love you. In fact, we can't do anything to make God love us. There's no longer any blood that needs to be spilled. I never, thankfully, never have to stand up here and sprinkle the altar or sprinkle you with blood from from an animal that I just killed. We never have to do that to be cleansed of our sins because Jesus is the Lamb of God who once and for all took away all your guilt. This is not a feel-good story. (laughs) It doesn't feel good to know I have to be cleansed. It doesn't feel good to know that my sacrifices don't do anything to earn me anything with God. It's not a feel-good story. But it's an actually good truth. The sacrificing is done. All your sins are gone because you've been replaced by Jesus. Amen.